Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infinite Worlds podcast. I'm your host, Winston Ward, publisher of Infinite Worlds magazine. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nick the Tooth. All right, brother, we are here to talk about The Matrix Part 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last time, and we uh, in this episode, we are finally going to get to the big question. How is The Matrix Resurrection? So mm. everybody uh, stay tuned, and uh, here we go. I'm reading this book right now and I'm loving it. Sci-fi dystopian book kind of based on the pandemic. They just did a uh, series on it called, on HBO called Station Eleven. And uh, Oh, man. I have torn through that show. Oh, how, so, how, so listen, I am loving the book. So I was watching. I watched like two episodes. And at the same time, I was reading the book. And I got so into the book that I stopped watching. And I'm just totally. every, every morning I wake up and I just start reading the book. And so how is the, the series? I like it a lot. I mean, it's not like a perfect series, whatever. There are a few things I don't love about it, but uh -huh. overall, overall, you know, I like, I'm looking forward to watching tonight's the last episode of this season, I think, or at least it's the last episode they have listed on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. uh, there might be one more after. There might be, it might be one more. I wonder if it's an ongoing sure. series or it's just a, a, a limited, like mini series, like a season or so. I, I'm not sure, but it's, I'm enjoying it a lot so far. Yeah, truly. I love it. I really uh, you know, like it. I like that kind of stuff, you know, like generally speaking. Okay, so here, uh, a little bit of a segue. Don't talking spoil about too that. much for me. <laughs> oh, I won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't go into that. But it's really funny. Uh, I've, for the last couple of years, I've been writing a book and I finished my first draft, I think in like November, and I handed it off yes. to an early reader. And, and there are a lot of similar themes to, station 11 to what i'm writing it's definitely kind of it's a post-apocalyptic thriller and you know there's some themes and just yesterday my early reader messaged me and was like i finished let's talk about it and it was a huge weight off my mind you know they were very uh encouraging oh congratulations dude i can't wait to read it i'm stoked uh i've, still, I've got to sit down and do uh, like a full rewrite now yeah yeah i've got extensive extensive notes it's a process but i'm really hoping to be able to do it this summer to release it this summer so all my close associates can get a chance to read it before i try awesome. to pitch it close. winston what's interesting is you know i've always pondered like why is it that we you know, love dystopian novels. And I, I kind of feel like, it, and, I, and I'm not going to totally segue into the matrix, but one of which is what we're discussing today. But I always wonder if, if it's because we feel constrained and oppressed by the system that we're in, you know what I mean? And, and the idea, mm. it's a fantasy that man, if this was all obliterated and I didn't have, I wasn't like a cog in a wheel, like, or, a, you know, a battery copper top in, in the matrix, you know, that if that's why we fantasize about that. I don't know what it is. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I don't hold back from making that point in the book I'm writing. Okay. I try to be kind of tongue in cheek about that, about how actually I'll, I'll give this away real quick. I start the book with a quote from Haruki Murakami from 1Q84. Oh, one of my favorite writers. Yeah. And the quote is everyone deep in their hearts is waiting for the end of the world to come. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That is definitely a theme I'm trying to play into about how all of us are kind of like, okay, Maybe this is fucked. Maybe we should just wipe the slate clean and try again. It's a tough idea, but you know, I think it does linger in other in people's minds. You know, like the idea of the apocalypse, the end of the world has been on people's minds since 
pre-biblical days. Well, you know, and, and if you think about it, I mean, it's life and, and living, especially in any kind of a, uh, of a society, what tends to happen over time is that it's like a monopoly game where power aggregates in a few hands. And you that's the thing. You've seen it since pre-biblical times, right? You had slaves. I mean, you probably started out with a very equal society when it was a tribe, and then it just quickly aggregated with, you know, we moved into from hunter-gatherers to once we started farming, then it became about property rights, and then it became about mine, not yours, and who who can amass the most. And then all of a sudden, you're in a monopoly game when you're like, fuck, dude, I don't want to roll again, you know? (laughs) Right. All of these stories have like a uh, a figure that leads them towards that point. You know what I mean? Like a chosen one kind of either, you know, brings them back from the edge or leads towards that eventual sea change. Yeah. The toppling of the old system and the bringing of the new system. And, and bringing in, a, and what is it always? What is Zion in the matrix? What is, you know, in the Bible? It's all, we're going to have an equal society, you know? We, let's get right. right. Let's wipe the board, which is where, you know, sometimes, you know, I look at in our society and how there's this worship of, uh, especially in a capitalist society, of those who have amassed so much. Like we're seeing a lot of that with Elon Musk, you know, and he's making this argument, Mm -hmm. well, billionaires shouldn't even pay taxes, you know, and it's like, oh, you fucking greedy fuck. You know what I mean? And some people are like, yeah, they're going to make sense. And I'm like, don't you understand there is a finite amount of money which equals power? And once that one person amount, I think I saw that since the pandemic that billionaires had amassed over a trillion dollars since the pandemic. It's been one of the most, you know, unjust. All all the four richest people like Bezos, Musk, the android who runs Facebook, <laughs> all those people have like doubled or tripled in value in two years. Yeah. I, I remember Warren Buffett years ago had said, and it, again, talking about the matrix where he had said, you know, it, the, the only people who don't think, and I'm paraphrasing, the only people who don't think that class for warfare is, is real are the underclass. And guess what? It's real and my class is winning. You know, he was brutal about it. You know, I'm at the top and my class is winning and it's not fair. We pay 14% in taxes. You as Americans, working Americans with, you know, all the different type of taxes you pay, you pay 36%. So, yeah. And so here's here's Musk now saying we shouldn't pay anything. It's like, oh, of course not. It, it you know, gets in the ways of his dreams of, you know, leading humanity to Mars. Obviously, I run a science fiction magazine. I record a science fiction podcast. The idea of people going to Mars is fucking cool. There's no doubt about it. That's cool. Pretty much everything I read about going to Mars is cool. The idea of setting up a human colony on Mars is not worth any of our resources right now. Distributing our resources the way we're doing it right now in order to have a colony on Mars makes no sense. A colony on Mars cannot exist if Earth stopped working. Even if you had a very functional colony there, you're not going to have enough water from now on. You're not going to have enough. uh, It's irradiated. There's about a million logistical problems with the idea of having a worthwhile colony on Mars. We've got problems here that we could fix before we try to take on problems on yeah, another you think? planet. You know, Dude, that's what I love, again, a, a little digression, but that's what I loved about Don't Look Up. Did you see it? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, okay, so that's a, a real obvious movie. A lot of the negative reviews that maybe are saying, okay, we get it. You don't have to, you know, cram it down our throats or whatever. But I love no, you do. that it's crammed down your you throats. You do need to cram yeah, it to down me, your throats with a metaphor. It's not obvious, but it is a metaphor, right? Right. It was one of my favorite movies of the me year. Me too. I think it needs to win Best Picture. I thought it was amazing. I would love to see it win Best Picture. I'd be blown away. I doubt that they'll allow that to happen, but I'd love to see it happen. Dude, I thought freaking... There were some other good movies last year, but that was my favorite science fiction. Uh, even above Dune. You know? Yeah, they 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 mocked uh, like the whole Elon Musk figure with uh, with the tech guys. Oh, man, that character phones. was like... Oh, he was awesome. The, the, I thought the movie was perfect. DiCaprio fucking his like uh, new speech, man. That was amazing. That was amazing. Oh my gosh, we could go through that for hours. I watched that movie three times already. <laughs> we could do an episode on that movie down the line. Yeah, not like just let's do it after it wins the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, right. I think it might. Maybe if it gets nominated, I think you know, pretty, I don't see how that doesn't get nominated. I'll be horrified if it. That's coming up pretty soon. I know. I know. So, anyways, The Matrix, amazing movie, like one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever. Killed it, sixty-three million, four hundred, almost five hundred million box office. Just catapulted everybody in the movie, even Keanu Reeves. I mean, to the point where it was like, holy shit, this guy is a force of nature. You know, it's funny because people didn't take him seriously as an actor before this movie came out. Nope. You know, like really, really at all. Because he had only gotten gotten a couple of chances to be in really serious roles. And one of them was uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a fantastic movie. But Keanu Reeves is straight up horrible in it. Yeah. (laughs) Part of that is because he's terrible at accents. But also because he was also filming other movies at the time and he was barely getting any sleep. And there's a really great – like if you, you could look at all this story up, it's one of his biggest regrets is that he wasn't able to give that movie the time it deserved. And also having to appear across from you know some of the greatest actors in history. Yeah. <laughs> John Malkovich and yeah. Yeah, so it's not entirely his fault. But the point is that he wasn't really taken that seriously as an actor and this really changed a lot for him. I think you know, it, it wasn't like an immediate thing where he was immediately getting serious leading roles. But as time has gone on, he's certainly been able to do that. Now you think Keanu Reeves, you think John Wick. Yeah. That's quite a bit different from Bill S. Preston Esquire. Or wait, wait is he Ted or Bill or Ted? <laughs> no, no doubt. And, and you have to think that, you know, anytime you're catapulted into the public consciousness, worldwide, global consciousness, like, you know, DiCaprio with Titanic. And I mean, it's just. It's a different world for you. You have now crossed the threshold and you will never be, your life will never be the same, right? And so the Matrix did that for him where everywhere he went, I'm sure people were like, yeah, you were already a star. You were a phenomenon after this. So I've heard him talk about how like people would give him Matrix quotes constantly. I know Kung Fu and all that stuff. (laughs) Constantly, you know. I know Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> I know jujitsu. Uh, I love that quote. Yeah, my, that might be why I, st- I went into jiu- I, I started training jujitsu. I don't know, but yeah, I, uh, it was it was so cool. But uh, but then after that came the the next two movies, which the next uh, one was called The Matrix Reloaded, um, yeah. and more or less had the same cast and crew, same producer, same cinematographer, yeah, same score writer, you know, composer, and it made. 
even more money than The Matrix. I know. It was an even bigger box office success. It made almost $750 million, and it broke the Terminator 2's still-standing record for highest ever grossing R-rated film. It held that title until Deadpool came out in 2016. Yeah, so it was a- $750 at the box office, you know? That's not DVDs and streaming and... And, you know, it had a much bigger budget. It had like twice the budget and everything. But I'll tell you, man, it did not impress critics the same way. That's for sure. Or fans. I mean, I don't know anybody that liked it. I think most people agree that it's not horrible. If it were up to me, I'd give it a C plus, possibly. Yeah, I'd give, I'd give it a five or a six. Something in that ballpark or whatever. It's not, it's not a horrible movie, but here's the problem. I think they took a story that was already a little heady, you know, already a little bit convoluted and made it about a million times more convoluted. I know. They made a story that if you can follow the entire Matrix story and remember all of the characters, good for you, I guess. But damn, does it feel like a task to do that? Yeah. Again, I don't think it's a bad movie. Having watched it recently, there are definitely parts of the movie that I like. You know what I mean? I think Keanu Reeves continues to kill it. Carrie on Moss continues to kill it. Hugo Weaving and the whole cast, they all continue to kill it. They start introducing lots of really unnecessary characters and ideas and I'm trying to remember the names of some of these absurd characters that they start. No, I, I, dude, I think you hit it on the head and I think it was so disappointing of a movie that if you look at the next movie, the, the third one, Revolutions, it only did $427 million. Yeah. In box office, and, and it only um, came out like a year later, too. You know what I mean? It's not like, I, yeah. I mean, these were these movies were filmed at the exact same time, and so you know they came out again right after one after the other, and people they came out the same the people, year, yeah. And half the people that watched it, you got to think, were like, "No, I'm not going to watch the third. Really, you're not going to watch the third right. of a I mean, trilogy? Watch Return of Return of the Jedi? Yeah, of a trilogy? Yeah." Right? you know, of a beloved trilogy. So yeah, I mean, that's, if that's any, yeah, the box office definitely started to show. And, you know, having watched these movies recently to me, all of the events that, you know, basically it all turns into like a Jesus Messiah storyline. It ends up being reduced even more to a Messiah storyline because, okay, before, if you just look at the first movie by itself, it's a lot easier to relate to because even now, There's this whole red pill, blue pill subculture going on in America, which move on, guys. (laughs) But, you know, the the metaphor stands strong because you can look at the first movie and say, okay, it's about just freeing your mind from the constraints that society puts on you. And, you know, once you do that, you will have the power to do the things you want to do, more or less. Yeah. You know, that's really easy to relate to. Like, everybody wants that. Everyone wants that in some level. But... Once you push past that, and now it's all about sacrificing yourself to change the world and be, you know, uh, and Zion and Zion and Zion. It was like, yeah, Zion did not work for me. Yeah, it becomes all. increasingly hard to relate to. Yeah, Neo himself becomes more difficult to relate to over time as well. Yeah, they made three hundred million dollars less on the third movie that they made on the second movie. That's a big difference. You know, like a 40%, yeah. 40% drop. And that's 40% revenue. of the people that didn't that didn't go see it. Right. <laughs> were like, uh-uh, I don't even care. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And you know what? I was one of those people. I remember seeing the second wow. movie in theaters and then being like, you know, I intended to go see it and then it came around and I was just like, it just didn't hold enough importance for me to go buy the tickets. 
You know what I mean? Wow. I, I, I had stopped caring. And uh, yeah. truthfully, that's really how I feel about the fourth movie. Is I think the fourth movie is like the entire trilogy in one movie. You're right. And I think that's why, you know, let's go right to the fourth movie because I, I the problem that I had with it was it was so fucking convoluted that I was just like, I don't even under. Okay. So he's a video game programmer who right. programmed a video game called the matrix and all of the things in that for, in those first three movies, he supposedly created but, you know, based on his memories of being Neo and from there, it just got more fucking convoluted. And so, you know, your critique of those that second and third movie only carries through and, and is amplified in that fourth movie. In my opinion, that's how I felt about it. The fourth movie starts off intriguing to me. The first half hour or so of that movie, I was loving it. I was like, okay, I really like this. This is totally different. And now I relate to Neo again. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. I relate to him again. But then as the movie tracked on, it just lost me. Yeah. I am so tired of machine gun fights. Yeah, I know. And, you know, car chases and fight scenes that last like eight minutes long. Miss me with all that. I want a story that I can get behind and is interesting or whatever. I know you really didn't like the fourth Matrix movie. Now, we talked about this, and I know that you're you're not. I couldn't. I just got so lost, like you're saying, after the thirty minute mark. I was like, "What the fuck is yeah, going?" Yeah, you know, they're on, constantly man. introducing characters like I'm the Train Man's daughter, and I'm like, "Who? <laughs> Who the fuck is that? You're the Merovingian? I don't give a shit. Who are any of these characters?" Yeah. Quit with all the callbacks and all that. Yeah, you, gotta, exactly. you know what I mean? They're going to bring everything back in from the fir- from those first three movies. They totally did, too. And, you know, there are so many characters that I'm like, why is this character in the fourth movie at all? There's no... Then Morpheus, you know, they, they were in that dark... They had dark noir and all in the first movie. And then he comes out of the bathroom in some yellow suit. And I'm like, what is Zoot suit? What is going on here? With just the tone of the movie, I couldn't, and the fucking, like I said, the cinematography and the, the just the framing of the shots felt so pedestrian. Yeah, they changed teams that, you know, they couldn't get Bill Pope back for the fourth movie, and they've got a different team for that. They have a different set of producers, and really just Lana took over directing it, and so that was just her view of it. But David Mitchell, the author, did help write the screenplay, which... There's something to be said about that. I think that movie is a good idea. It just doesn't hold up. Yeah. And recasting the characters, like I'm not going to feel the same way about Morpheus if you recast him. Yeah, and the problem with David Mitchell and and getting him to write a screenplay is screenplays are not novels. It's the novel is a short story, you know. And oftentimes, what happens is that people will try and adapt the book or, or a novelist will write a screenplay and it just doesn't work because it's too convoluted. Right. And so, you know what I mean? A screenplay is so, has to be so tight in every respect. And uh, it just, again, goes back to your comment and your critique of the movie of the last three movies, convoluted convol- and, and, you know, cloud Atlas is an amazing novel. I enjoyed the movie but it was a better novel. And why? Because I think things being convoluted are good in novels. I like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. 
You know what I mean? I want my novel to be deep. Exactly. You know, you're spending a lot more time on a novel. You have a lot more time to think of those things and to like- Yeah, sprawl, go forever, do whatever, you know what I mean? Go everywhere. I don't care. I love that. I don't care. And it just doesn't, that just doesn't translate to a movie. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I made the comment to you where I was like, you know, for me- I thought that this movie would have done so would have been so much better as an anime if they had mm. not maybe even an anime series, you know, where they could have done another Animatrix. Yes, and I fucking loved Animatrix. If anybody hasn't seen Animatrix, it is a uh, follow up after the Matrix that was just different. Like it was like an anthology series, kind of like heavy metal, and it was such bitchin' animation. Mm-hmm. And every story was different, but it played in this universe. And I think this would have been a great anime series for like HBO Max. It yeah, and you dope. know. They spent $190 million to make this fourth movie. <laughs> it's by far the largest budget of any of the movies by 40 or 50 million bucks. Ugh. So far, it's only made $125 million. It was a bomb. You know, they'll blame it on, they'll probably go, oh, it was because of COVID and all this shit. It wasn't because of COVID. Look at what just happened with the Spider-Man movie. He hit like a billion dollars yeah. during COVID, yeah. you know, last couple of weeks in, uh, in, in, in weeks, in a matter of weeks, it hit a billion. So it's not because of COVID. It's because it was a, just a disaster, in my opinion, you know. I will almost certainly never watch this movie again. Although, you know, who knows, you know, 10 years down the line, I'd be like, you know what, I'll give it another go, give it another chance. We'll see. But right now, I'm probably good on watching any of the sequels ever again. Yeah. I've watched both of the sequels at least twice now. And this fourth movie I've watched twice because to prepare for this. But I doubt I'll watch any of them ever again. You know what's crazy is one of our, our listeners hit me and uh, he was asking what I thought about the, the sequel about Resurrections. And I was like, ah, I didn't like it. And he goes, oh. He goes, I'm really not that objective about it because he listens to the podcast. Um, he goes, because my company was did all of the uh, or did a lot of the uh, special effects for the major resurrections. I'm like, well, you guys did a great job. That's not, you know, that's just yeah, that's, yeah, the, that, that's not that's the problem. The, yeah. The tough thing about making movies is you might have a great team. You might have great sound design. It's not going to rescue the movie at all. That goes back to what we were saying. It takes, it's a miracle that any movie ever works. You know what I mean? It is. That's why great directors, they're always in demand because they're so good. And even great directors have complete fails. You know, it just happens. It's part of it. It's possible that they're just better as a team instead of, you know, one working and the other not working. Yeah. That might have something to do with it too. And, you know, there are a lot of other things about the fourth movie that I really didn't like. One, not to pick on one person in particular, but Jada Pinkett Smith is so fucking terrible in this movie. (laughs) Like that section of the movie was so hard for me to watch because it was so cringeworthy. Like her playing old lady was so bad. It was so bad. I I don't even know if I got to that. (laughs) (laughs) I think I did. And my eyes just glazed over by that point because I don't even remember it. I thought the casting was so bad, like Agent Smith. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is Smith. This, I was just, it just didn't work for me. Yeah. The new Agent Smith, the new Morpheus. And honestly, Neil Patrick Harris was one of the lamest villains ever. Ever. Like, I, I like Neil Patrick Harris. Don't get me wrong. I think he's good. But he made a super lame villain in this movie. Like, I was so un 
impressed with that whole vibe. He's defeated in one movie too, and defeated by getting the shit kicked out of him. They shouldn't have made the movie without Hugo. I mean, it was just like, come on, man. You got to be kidding me. That should not have happened. Hugo Weaving was too important a part. Of the, it's just like the villain is always one of the most important parts of the movie, you know? Yeah, and Neil Patrick Harris just, I've got a cat. I'm smarmy. You know, I'm like, <laughs> okay, who, who, care, who cares? It just didn't work, man. Did not hit. But there are two sides to everything, or at least two sides. Everything's multifaceted. But I'm of the belief that the second, third, and fourth movie should never have been made. And then The Matrix by itself would be just this legendary movie. And maybe Animatrix, you know. And then we, then we would have been dying for the sequel. <laughs> but those movies combined made more than a billion bucks. Oh, yeah. That extra billion dollars in the pockets of Warner Brother Pictures. I'm sure they're like, oh, yeah, you guys gave it a bad review? Mm, okay, well, we're going to just take our billion dollars and you know cry ourselves to sleep at night it's like m night Shyamalan. he just they're like yeah it wasn't that great but you bring it you sell a lot of tickets so guess what we'll keep making movies <laughs> yep 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 and i really think that is a case of that this last one definitely although i think that the story is a pretty good idea in the end it seems like it was an attempt at a cash cow even though it looks like it's bleeding money right now yeah yeah I mean, I'm sure after the sequels did so well, even though they were just panned by critics, they're probably like, yeah, it is a cash cow. We will make money on it. You know, it's a guarantee. Yeah, you know what? It had one of the best trailers ever. Yeah, I know. The trailer for this movie is excellent. Yeah. And now I can't even go back and watch the trailer. <laughs> It'll piss me off. Yeah, I know. It's so funny. It's like a dupe. You got duped. We all got duped. That happens all the time with trailers, though. One of the ones that did that to me the most was there was a trailer for The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with um, I know. Ben Stiller. Remember that? The trailer was, was so, so good. good. Was, I know. <laughs> and then the movie was so boring. I know. It was I was so like, bad. oh. All right. Well, that was The Matrix. Um, I'm glad we uh, finally, we've been holding off on that because of that trailer. We talked about it and talked about we it. We were really hoping to record this episode and be like, dude, how good was the fourth <laughs> Matrix movie? The Matrix, you know, finally. They salvaged the, the series. We both went into it with high hopes for sure. Yeah. Like we talked about it a lot before the movie actually dropped in the. We both independently, I remember when you texted me, we're like, did you watch it yet? And I was like, yeah, I just watched it. And I was like, I was like, well, what'd you think? I was like, I have a lot of mixed feelings. And you were just like, I fucking hated it. Yeah, I was, I was like, like, I ain't going home back on that. I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> if you're bummed about the, uh, the Matrix, I suggest to wash that taste out of your mouth. Go back and watch Animatrix because it really is mm. freaking cool. Man. And the original movie, for yeah. sure. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And Dark City. Why not? While, while you're oh, at it, go yeah. in there too. Dark City was so great, man. I had that on seat on DVD, man, and I would watch it all. I would make people when they came over to my house. I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna we're gonna watch this movie if they had never seen it. And I would make them watch it. And they were like, What the fuck was that? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. There's another topic I want to get in there, and we mentioned it a little bit there, but it's the red pill, blue pill metaphor. Mm -hmm. The red pill, blue pill metaphor very simply is that if you keep eating the blue pill, you'll stay and uh, see reality, how it's being presented to you, and you'll never wake up and experience the way reality really is, even if it is a hard truth. And if you eat the red pill, you wake up and you see the hard truths and you, 
you know, try to cope with them however, however you can, but you lose the comfort that you had existed in before. It can mean a lot of things. One of the things that really bothers me is that there's the alt-right has co-opted the concept to apply it towards their ideas. And that is to say that anyone who doesn't see cancel culture as a huge problem or who thinks critical race theory isn't a boogeyman or anything like that is a blue pill person. They're asleep and they're not seeing the dangers of these things being presented to them. And that if you've taken the red pill, then you know that the Hollywood elites are trying to um, make you a sheep by introducing same-sex marriage and trans rights and all that stuff into media. And you need to take the red pill to wake up from that, you know, think for yourself, et cetera. And, you know, no matter what an artist makes, it is up to the audience to interpret it. So their interpretation has as much grounding as anybody else, I guess. But the one thing I really liked about the fourth movie, like I said, I really like the first half hour, but part of the first half hour is a you know, video game programming team and development team discussing all the different themes of the video game matrix that exists inside the matrix universe and debating the, the red pill versus blue pill meanings or whatever. And there's a really great tongue in cheek stuff where Lana Wachowski is like, oh, could it mean trans right? And really throws that alt-right argument right in the faces of the alt-right. And of course, just because they wrote the script and everything, I still don't think they have ownership over those concepts. I'm not one of those people who thinks that artists get to control their art once it's been released. I truly believe that. But I do think that that debate is really absurd and really silly. And I just I just really wanted to oh, say Oh, it's that. really cool. It's interesting that they kind of addressed it and uh, in, in the movie, you know. I don't remember that. <laughs> it's just some lines here and there that are thrown off you know what i'm talking about there's like that montage yeah, uh, yeah where he's just taking his pill and repeating every day and they keep going to the same meeting and yeah they keep pitching the same ideas and everything and they take a couple of pot shots in that towards people who they feel like have co-opted their concepts yeah you know to their own benefit no it's kind of fascinating you know to be in that position where you're making a movie and, 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 and the movie, I think the theme of the movie is meta. It's very, very meta where it's like, what is reality? What isn't it reality? Or, and, and, you, and right. reflecting on, you know, is he in the matrix? Is he not? Now he's making a video. So now you've got these level upon level. Meta is basically a level upon a level you know, of, right. of, of reality. And now in this latest one, the resurrections are, it's so meta. There's like so many levels and then they're commenting on society and, so no, that's kind of interesting. That's really all I had to say about that, but I just thought it was worth mentioning because No, I thought- it's 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 interesting because again, that's like I think that's the biggest theme of of the movie. I I think that you know, we are living in a society where you know, we now we spend so much time on social media and looking at, you know, fake really uh, unrealistic you know, lives of people, you know, that's what an influencer does. And it just begs the question of, wait a minute, we are in a very matrix like reality because that's not really who you fucking are on that Instagram story where you're creating this life for us to think that, you know, you got it all together or whatever it is. Right. You know, and that applies to both of us too. Yeah. Audience, you know, you know, we're both, I really don't like the word. I wrote an intro for one of my magazines about how I don't like the idea of being called a influencer but you know technically speaking that's what i do but it's not really a title i'd give myself or whatever but you're right you know we're no you have an on you have an online personality right you have an online right. personality because of the magazine because of the podcast because of whatever my jujitsu and then it becomes you know this this you know what you post looks like your reality and so our brains like i follow someone and i look at it and i'm like wow man look at their life you know blah 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 but you know 
they still wake up and, and go to the bathroom and don't, we don't see that. You know what I mean? And, you know, most people aren't sharing the negative aspects of their lives. Yeah. The loneliness. I'm a real person too. <laughs> I've got dirty laundry to do today yeah. or, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, only enough to humanize them a little bit for their audiences. You know, not getting into like the shouting matches they have with their spouses or their bills are behind or whatever else the ugly stuff and the idea that you can filter that out oh no doubt or or would it even more of what it means to be human it's impossible for someone to to really convey on instagram or twitter or anything the monotony the <sighs> boredom you know what i mean the doubt the loneliness and that's what it really means to be human that's what we spend the stuff so that goes on inside time. your head you know what i mean yes yes exactly so it's you know it's it begs i think that the ideas behind this movie were you know are are are, are just as relevant if not more relevant and i think they attempted to to, you know, convey that and deal with those, but it just failed. Yeah. <laughs> it just was too much. <laughs> yeah, and and that's it. why as a series, one episode like Star Trek could have dealt with this and one episode could have dealt with this. Right. One, it would have been a much better series. And again, way too complicated. The, the one-off would have been, to me, would have been the ideal thing. And, you know, I, I know sometimes I sound like an old dude being like, get off my lawn with these sequels and these rehashings and you know <laughs> make something original now you know what i mean and i know, yeah. I know i know guys i'm just as guilty as everybody else of recycling ideas and you know standing on the shoulders of things that came before well you know what let's let's end this on that and i will say i am watching book of boba fett and i'm kind of digging it oh yeah me too it's cool <laughs> <laughs> keeping with the western theme of uh the mandalorian i'm I think we have a new it. episode of that today don't we Yes, that just dropped. So we're stoked about that. So as much as we hate sequels, come on. Yeah, right yeah, exactly. I, I I say this stuff, and I'm like, oh, give me something new, and then I'm I'm like, oh, book of Boba Fett, huh? Oh, okay. Oh, he's a, he's at a Sarlacc. Oh, that's super cool, dude. <laughs> this is oh. yeah, it was so cool watching him escape that. That was cool. My wife's not a big Star Wars fan, and she loved the Mandalorian. She loved the, that series, but otherwise, I can't get her to watch much Star Wars stuff. But uh, she was like, well, this is made the same people who made The Mandalorian, so I'm going to give this a go. And I was like, I'm glad to hear it. So we started watching it. It's got so many callbacks to the original series. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, those are Jawas. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah. This is the Moss Eisley Cantina now. Okay, yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and I talk shit about that, but then I'm, I do it just as much as everyone else does. So. You know, yeah, guys, don't don't beat yourself up. You know, we're all we're all trapped in the the blue pill reality, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, this was awesome. I'm glad we finally tackled the Matrix, and uh, I think for next episode, we're going to be talking about George Orwell's 1984, and let's talk about Animal Farm too. Yeah, uh, two you know, two of the greatest, most influential, important books of uh, the 20th century. Yeah, only one of them is a sci-fi book, but it's kind of hard to talk about one without the other, and. Uh, also, yeah, I think exactly. I think given like big tech, you know, and like all the worries of big tech right now, and all people getting booted off YouTube or Welly, and I think it's time for us to put in our two cents on what is really Orwellian. Yeah, what, what, so, that, what that really means. Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking right. forward to that all one right, too, brother. man. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. All right, man. Later, brother. Guys, if you're enjoying the Infinite Worlds podcast, you could definitely check out more Infinite Worlds related stuff by visiting our website, infiniteworldsmagazine.com. There you can subscribe to Infinite Worlds magazine. It's a full-color, ad-free science fiction magazine featuring stories, comics, and illustrations from creators all over the world. You can also sign up to our mailing list. You can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IW Sci-Fi Mag. Also, 
You can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker and our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonzo. 